Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict. Hope everyone is doing fine. Today, I have with me over a Zoom link, Jonathan Delise. Hopefully, I've pronounced that correctly. Now, yes, you did. <laughs> excellent. Hi, Jonathan. How on hey. earth are you doing today? Malcolm, thank you again for having me. I'm very good. Looking forward to chatting with you. The fellow travel addict. Fellow travel. Travel addict, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what constitutes a real travel addict, but <laughs> I, I think those two fit into that category. Um, yes. Both of us have traveled to over 100 countries. We're in the Century Club. That's true. Century Club. <laughs> That's right. Is that an official club? I don't know. No, no, no. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> and, and some people who listen here are probably thinking, what is wrong with those guys? They just need counseling. <laughs> what are they doing, you know? Uh, but it, over time, this is the t- type of stuff that happens. You just keep going out of town and it adds up, you know? And um, I don't think either of us, myself or Jonathan, would ever regret the things we've done or the places we've been to. Because we're basically travel addicts. Now, uh, Jonathan is here because he's got a travel story to tell. He's, as I said, he's been to over 100 countries, and he's been in, uh, as an expat in a few. Now, I'm thinking it's down to uh, because he has taught ESL, which I believe means English as a second language in various countries around the world. So, Jonathan, is that what ESL means, English as a second language? Uh, superficially, yes, Malcolm. It doesn't it doesn't mean I was always successful at it. <laughs> um, I can tell you, I, I certainly have myriad travel stories, but just regarding BSL in China, my first day teaching in Shenzhen, I walked into a class. There were seventy seven students, just sardine. It was a sardine camp, and they said, "You're our teacher, huh?" There were kids break dancing, smoking in class, and they were hanging from the rafters. I mean, you wouldn't think this was China, but it happened. Every other class with the Chinese teachers, they were stoic. But in, in the foreigners' class, oh, you know, it's 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 a circus. <laughs> so it, it was disturbing. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun. I just <laughs> wonder about fun. China because how long ago was that, by the way, John? Oh, that was too long ago. In terms of China, that was eons ago. That's it, 16 years. 16 years. And I know today, I, this is what I believe, is that country of China have made a point in teaching English to the kids when they grow up at school for a second language. Is that true? Oh, it's they. Oh, it's extremely important there. They because they realize it's a, it's a language of business. It's one of the most important. And another thing is, if they really did realize that, that though, they shouldn't have hired me. <laughs> um, ESL is kind of a euphemism for people just want to go abroad and experience life as an expat before they do something yeah. more gainful. Um, for me. My major was Asian studies, so maybe I should be there anyway. <laughs> oh, well, you fit right in. Before you went over there, you understood a little bit about the culture. 
Uh, as far as I know. <laughs> as, far, as far as you, you can, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because you really have to be over there to, to really understand it. And you've yeah. been an expert too, Malcolm, so you certainly, you, you certainly understand. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, well, China, uh, you know, I, I've been to China a few times on business, and of course there was a language barrier. Um, sure, sure, sure. Hong Kong's just fine, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I think the further out in the boonies you get, the more it it becomes a language. Beijing was to a certain extent. Then I went to Chengdu, which, Ooh. you know, was challenging. Um, but but that's all right. Now, um, where did you go with the ESL to be able to do this? Because I thought if I'd known about this when I was, I don't know if it even existed way back when, but when I grew up in hmm. England yep. and ESL or, or teaching, teaching English overseas seems like a fantastic idea. You know, I, I try to talk my son into doing it. Huh. Um, it doesn't pique his interest at the moment, maybe one day, but I think it's a fantastic thing to do in your younger days just to go out and experience uh, the rest right. of the world. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I can't say, Malcolm, for, you know, you're slightly less young than I am. <laughs> uh, but I'd say I taught in Shenzhen, China, so that borders Hong Kong, um, yeah. Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, so, you know, talk about worlds apart, and Jakarta in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And th these are... <laughs> We talk about a motley crew of places. Um, Jakarta was during the rainy season, so that, every day I had to wade through a flood because a lot of the cities below sea level. And to just get to work, I just well, I'd arrive just in muddy pants. So it, it was just not so fun. But then I also, it's kind of humanizing now. You think, okay, there's about thirty million people in the Jakarta metro area, and just not just them, but they have to experience the rainy season every day you know, from October through March. So for this foreigner who has never experienced it, whatever, it's just another day to them. But for me, it was just, <laughs> how do you deal with this in Jakarta where there's barely any sidewalks and every sidewalk that exists is more like a ditch. It's a sewer, it's a ditch. So <laughs> I'm just saying, you said mentioned the rainy season in Jakarta. When is that? It It's varied, but I'd say it's end of October through March, but, you know, it's, it's tropical, so it's unpredictable these days. Um, climate change too so yeah i'd say any time between october and march over there i'm glad you told me that jonathan because guess where i'm going to be in november no kidding you're going to indonesia yeah well, i'm actually um i'm going through jakarta because i'm going to i, I do scuba diving and there's a you know a beautiful. fantastic nature reserve or marine park in uh, in raja ampat raja ampat yep yep, yep. Oh, that's all the way in the east. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm at. So I'll be in overnight in Jakarta and then uh, getting a flight over to the island of Sarong before getting a boat ride to uh, Raja Ampat. So um, I need to take my, as we say in England, Wellington boots with me. Your wellies, yes. Your wellies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, actually, because I think there's a there's a part where the, how do you say, the uh, rainy season's flipped. So because of, you know, it's... Uh, Part of it's below the equator. It depends on where you are in Indonesia. At least in Java, it's October through March. Raja Ampat, because it's so far east, um, that might be different. Uh, but certainly flying through Jakarta, you might experience you know those two-hour tropical massive rainstorms. Uh, yeah, and then it's all over. Yeah, I get it. And same, Often. a lot about Southeast Asia because of like that. that the, the rain, when it's hot and humid, they have a lot of brief uh, rainfall there. And then it's of course. gone. So, uh, well, all right. Let's let's. Uh, I've got some questions to ask you about sure. places you've been. Maybe we'll get back to Indonesia in a minute because I've got sure, more, sure. <laughs> more stuff to ask you. And <laughs> no and of all the places you went or were an expat, 
or teaching teaching English. Yep. Saudi Arabia, and you said yeah. you went into Jeddah. Yes. Okay. Now, I don't think you drank much beer while you were there. <laughs> but tell me about that experience. I, you know, to be to be fair, Malcolm, I actually love Saudi Arabia. It's it's for me, it's very peaceful. Coming from the east, uh, coming from the New York area, it's the opposite. It's just so peaceful. There's barely any noise, and I like it because. Jeddah is a big city. There's a few million people, but it's not chaotic. And it's, it's, you have this beautiful city along the Red Sea, which is great for scuba diving in right. its own right, as you know. Uh, but I'll tell you, since you mentioned the ale, I lived in a compound. They put a lot of foreigners in compounds. This compound was, an, it, it was just the most bizarre place, Malcolm. Every <laughs> Thursday and Friday night, which is, you know, uh, th- Friday and Saturday is a weekend. Prostitutes would come in. I'd see them get out of a limo, and they were from, I don't want to say the country, but they were from wherever. They'd get out of a limo, stage in, because there was a bar in my compound. Oh. So in this compound, they didn't allow Saudis to go in. Really? Uh, in general, Saudis weren't allowed to go into the compounds. Mine was my sponsor, so he was allowed to come in and show me the place. But in general, it's just so I had Lebanese and other Americans. It was built in the 1960s for the U.S. Navy. So oh, okay. it, it was it was I, I, I couldn't imagine picket fences, driveways in this compound, Malcolm, in Jeddah. So it looked like you were in, I guess, suburban, you know, it was, what's the word? Uh, Levittown, Levittown anywhere, you know, any town USA. And then as soon as you leave, it's that 110, well, uh, 40, 42 degrees sun. And it's just dusty, and there's no one walking. <laughs> it's 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 the most bizarre <laughs> transition <laughs> from the compound, and then you leave the compound, and then yep, you're in Jeddah. You, you immediately realize you're in Jeddah. God, when I was growing up in England, I know that's that's when I first started in the workplace. But I know a few Brits they went over to work in Saudi Arabia primarily because of two things: higher salary, oh yeah, and they didn't have to pay taxes. And that was the attractive thing about it. Now, I know people who did it, yeah. but I don't know if they really enjoyed it uh, because, you know, Brits like going down to the local pub, right? So <laughs> I, I have no idea. Sure, sure. Um, well, the pay is, is, you know, that's why pretty much anyone is there. However, since 2017, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been, as far as you can say, liberalizing the country to some extent. When I was there, and just in 2017, Malcolm, you still couldn't see women driving. It was illegal. Mustahil. I saw one driving, and I was that was at the tail end of my time there. Like, really? <laughs> uh, but since then, you know, women can go to some sports events, some concerts. Uh, it's it, it's they're trying to build this massive project in the Red Sea by twenty thirty. Yeah. Tourism. They want to say it's their Dubai. They want to allow women with bikinis, which you know I have no problem with. <laughs> yeah. But are they really going to do that? <laughs> it's called neon. It, that that is a fascinating country to be visiting right now. Every day is there's there's some glacier, you know there's some massive change that to you and I, uh, it's just it's it's just another day. But to them, it's just something new opens. There's really? you know there's they have I think they have a Six Flags project opening in by Riyadh. Really, uh, I think some massive theme park. If it's not open now, it's opening by next year. Well, well, at least that 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 changed a little bit. While you were there, did you ever go over to Dubai? Yes, yes, I uh, yes. 
A popular place for Brits, for sure. Um, I actually went to the World Expo two months ago. Oh, okay. That was specifically to see the architecture, because I love bizarre architecture. And, oh, did you go to the Expo, Malcolm? It, it, was, it was something else. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I would say it's probably five or six years ago, I was on my way to Asia, and I decided to stop over in Dubai on the way over there for two or three days. Yep. And, of course, my luck would have it, I was there during Ramadan. <laughs> so you know what that means, right? Couldn't so, get the old pint of brewski. At least at night you could, though. I mean, if, iftar, you could go out. But then during the day, yes, not, not quite. Maybe it's, it's, in five-star hotels, but... It's funny because I, uh, I can't remember what, what hotel I stay in. But they said, look, look now, I'll tell you where to go. If you'd like to grab a beer somewhere, we can get one, <laughs> bring it to your room. Or there's a place just down these streets and it's called such and such. Go there. I said, well, that's a bit underhanded. Shouldn't they be? They shouldn't really be doing this. So it's uh, hey, they, they can break the rules. Sure, so sure. I, 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 to be honest with you, I wasn't a great fan of Dubai. It's because it's uh, financially rich, but to me, culturally poor, if you wish. That was my definition of it. So I, I you know, I, I didn't. I wouldn't go back there again. You know. You know what about Dubai? It uh, they're they're going for the superlative, as you said. That's people might equate it, equate it with the oil rich place. No, it's Abu Dhabi, but Dubai is definitely based on finance. So yeah. all of Sheikh Zayed Road is 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 bankers' money. Um, yeah, I I feel similarly, but I don't want to say it's culturally poor just because I think they're finally developing Emirati culture, things that were there from from the uh, the Bedouins and whatnot. From, but there, it's kind of like in China how. Mao Zedong had a lot of the, pla- the cultural places destroyed. Yeah. Iconoclast. Uh, he, di- he didn't want any, uh, what's it called? Respect for de- de- deities. He just he said, I was a supreme being. And only in the past 15 years when China has become very wealthy again, they're saying, oh, you know what? Why did we destroy all that? Let's try to rebuild some of it. So in yeah. a lot of the cities in China now, you can see these rebuilt you know, gates, these uh, python, these old neighborhoods, what they might have looked like a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, I love China. I love visiting there. Yeah. It's just, and you know, they, if you go into certain grottos and whatnot, that's at least still remaining. But what happened in a lot of the cities, they're just these ugly buildings with geodesic domes and Ferris wheels sticking out of them. <laughs> that's another story. But. Oh, God. Oh, tackiness, tackiness defined. <laughs> Well, let's go back to Indonesia. Sure. And I, I've I've been to Bali over there. It's a little bit different. It's not because it's uh, it's a hint, prominent Hindu, Hindu um, land in really what is the largest Muslim country in the world. Right. But I didn't really, you know, I, I felt perfectly safe in Indonesia. Um, I've only been to Jakarta. I've been to Bali a few times, uh, but I, I, I've been to Jakarta once. I was there for a, a business meeting, but I found it just fine. It, it was like a, a, just a, uh, another chaotic capital city to me. <laughs> um, so, but but you you said you were teaching there, and um, how long were you in Jakarta for? Uh, Jakarta for about six months. Six months. Yeah, I, I think Malcolm Bet. I think Indonesians are some of the most hospitable, friendly people I've ever met. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it's so so down to earth. Jakarta is not a tourist city. It's a business city. 
Yeah. They have, certainly they have zoos and amusement parks. That's for the locals. It's definitely a place you, most people would go just to stop over on their flight to Bali or to Labuan Bajo Rajan Park. Yeah. Um, I grew to adore the city. Uh, you know, living there, you kind of should get used to something there. And I love the food. So spicy food is kind of my food destiny. Just, I always add something spicy to something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I found this local, this regional cuisine called Manado Needs. Manado Malcolm is a city in northern Sulawesi, and they're mostly Catholic. And there's a market there called Tomo On. They eat everything. They put China to shame. Really? <laughs> they well, they're basically in the same bed, uh, but they they have. If you if you want to know, you know they have field rat. They have dog, cat, whatever you need. Bat. I tried the uh, fruit bat. I'm sure that's a popular thing to say these days, given the possible you know, origins of COVID-19. But <laughs> yeah, so I grew to love Manadanese food, not necessarily for those reasons, but because it's so spicy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, great, great experience. Next on the list is Hong Kong. No. Oh. Which, um, to me, I... <sighs> Hong Kong has changed a bit, I think, in recent years. And a, a friend of mine just said that they, China put in a, a more um, more so, co- communist type of leader or, John Lee. To, 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 to rule. And so things will change. And it's really sad because Hong Kong has a lot of history, especially with the Brits when, the, when they were there. But mm-hmm. I found it one of the most vibrant places on the planet. You know, it's mm. fantastic. Um, so... Were, were you in Kowloon or the island, or where were you doing your work? There? Uh, at that time, I wasn't working there, but I was I was studying abroad there. Yeah, and I lived in in a new territory is Kowloon Tong, uh, where City University of Hong Kong is. Oh, are yeah. you are you pretty familiar with the Hong Kong? Uh, somewhat from a somewhat. business perspective, yeah, I've been there about sure. eight times. I know it's, okay. it sounds substantial, but but yeah, um, I've been there. Uh, on business matters and then for, for pleasure as well, you know, because I like the place so much. Yeah. So I am fam- quite familiar with it. Yeah. I think one of the best kept se- open secrets about Hong Kong is hiking. Is what, now, sorry? Hiking, hiking. Oh, hiking. Yeah. It, Sai Kong Peninsula, uh, the Gold Coast. There's just so many places that the tourist. You know, I, I because I love buildings and cities, Malcolm. It's just beautiful. You go to Victoria Harbor at dusk dawn. Uh, unbelievable sight. It's unbelievable. It and even though the Star Ferry, it's getting shorter and shorter because of the reclaimed land. Yeah. You know, between Chimsha Choi and Central. Yeah. It it's just it's magnificent. I you know, besides Rio and Chongqing, I think Hong Kong is in the top three just most awesome skylines in the world, just because yeah. of the topography. Yeah. You know the mid-levels, of course. You're yeah. just walking from the peak down the mid-levels, Robinson Road and whatnot, and it's just I, – I, I have to take 100 picture, pictures after every stop. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite an unbelievable sight to, to look at, at that harbour. Yes. And if you, if you didn't do it, Jonathan, there's another place to look at the harbour. And this, sound, this may sound really twisted. <laughs> you know the Peninsula Hotel. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. On the top floor, they've got the Felix Restaurant. Yeah, they're famous bathroom. Are you going to talk about the bathroom? Yes, you've got it. You've been there. I'm sorry to ruin that. You've been taking a whiz and you looked out the window and you've seen that side. No wonder there's a lineup to get in the men's room there. For sure, it's uh, it's unique. 
good. It's all good. And of course, they've got, um, I, I think it still goes on today. I mean, sports is a big thing there, but there's still a lot of street names and areas of town named after the Brits, like obviously uh, Victoria Peak, the harbour, and some of the, the road names there. Sure, but they, sure. the Brits brought in the sports. So, yeah. um, you know, I know Hong Kong's famous for uh, the annual event, Rugby Sevens. Rugby yeah, that's Rugby true. Sevens, right, which is a huge occasion there. And they've got the Happy Valley Race Course there as well, big horse racing fans. And um, I'll be Shatin has another race course. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there, there is a, a couple there, yeah. yeah. So to me, it just had a lot to offer. And it's just great walking around there as well. Yes. And even going to Stanley Market, um, you're the side of uh, Victoria Island there. So, yeah, um, I don't know if I'll ever get there again based on the, the changes which may be coming up. Well, that's sad to say, Valka, because it's as, from a tourist perspective, what's going to really change for you? I'm not sure that much, you know, uh, I might want to live there to work, but for you, if you just want to visit Malcolm, it's just, it's still this awe-inspiring city. Yeah. You can say it's sad, but go to mainland China. China obviously is what is influencing what's happening in, in, in Hong Kong. I would, if China were open tomorrow, I would go yesterday. Yeah. Because there are infinite things to see in that country. So I, I to, to say, to, how to say, to, um, insult the country based on its government i i'm a big hypocrite coming from the u.s you know so i shouldn't travel anywhere if i have a problem with any government yeah because i have a big problem with my own too no. <laughs> so you know i mean they someone might say oh but that's worse well, huh? well i tell you you know with what's going like shanghai for example is i was there three years ago i i, I stopped in oh. shanghai because i was on my way to tibet now okay. i decided to stay in shanghai a couple of days I could have got a taxi from the airport to the city centre. It would take about an hour. But I got on the maglev train. took eight minutes of world's fastest <laughs> train there. And uh, if you've been on, you don't sit rear-facing. But it, yep. And the skyline there is unbelievable. This is super modern. It's difficult to understand logistically how that place could go under lockdown like it is right now. And I, I, I tend to think, it's sort of cruel, but you know they they they're trying to uh, get this COVID situation sorted out. But right. do worry about the the uh, health of the people there and what what's going through their heads. You know, coming. I'm not sure. Have you been in the U.S. most of the time, Malcolm, through pandemic, or you were in England as well? Because I think England was a bit quite a bit more strict than the U.S. Um, yeah, Britain was. I was there in September. Sure. Oh, okay. I had a COVID test before I left, but when I landed in Manchester Airport, I had to have another one, but I had a water <laughs> paperwork, uh, a uh, passenger locator form, just a water paperwork right. to let me know. So it was, but all that's gone away now. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So uh, it, it was pretty strict, but lockdown, no, the pubs were open. Um, of course, they are. They were locked, pubs were closed for a period of time, but not to the extent of what China's going through now because oh. people are compelled. You know, they're confined to their homes. You know, it's, oof, I just don't know. They're sealed. Some of them, the buildings are sealed. Yeah. They can't, they can't even, and if you leave, you can't even go on your balcony. There's, oh there's some drones videos of people getting stopped by the, the uh, what are they called? The jirfa, basically the people who enforce the law. They're just coming by and saying, excuse me, what are you doing on your balcony? You can't. Can't do <laughs> you it. Can't, you can't go outside. Arrested. Yeah. How the hell can they get food then? Uh, 
look, it's not something we can relate to. I, I don't want to comment about what's going on there. But I think what was happening in Wuhan when that was in, you know, in yeah. 2020, they would nominate one person to go out every week from every household or every floor. It was something like that. So, oh, okay. That's, there's ways to, to get food. Yeah. But yeah. some, you know, some people in Beijing now are stocking up because they're saying, oh, we might be next. And Zhengzhou, they might be next. So yeah. now people are just kind of, uh, what is it, a doomsday scenario. <laughs> well, I don't know if that, that's their, uh, their lockdowns will work ultimately. I just don't know. But uh, mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully not. It gets back to normal because, yeah, I really like China. I've been there to work a few times. I found the people um, uh, n- nice there. I mean, I yeah. never ran into any issue. Bit of a language barrier, but um, you know, I, I tell you, you know, in Beijing, I went to a business meeting there, and uh, I explained my my company's products. And after they say, "Hey, Malcolm, we'd like to take you out," not in well in their Chinese accent, Malcolm, we'd like to take you out somewhere to one of our favorite restaurants. I said, "Sure," <laughs> you know, it's part of the culture. You've got to do it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, went to the restaurant. And I said, just order for me, you know. Right, right, right. And up popped on my in front of me on a plate of chicken feet. <laughs> yes. well, you got to do it. I just said, any hot sauce? <laughs> yeah, but it, you, you do it. it. It's all right. It's all part of the uh, cultural experience there. But since you have significant ex- uh, business experience there, did so did they always have Baijiu at the table, the, uh, the uh, clear fire water? You know, I can't remember that. You can't remember? No. My last day in China was, I was just visiting a friend. It was in um, November 2019, actually. Yeah. And we went to uh, you know, one of those banquet, banquet yeah. um, dinners. And every single word they said was, uh, cheers, your ganpai. <laughs> I mean, that's a really? ganbei, ganbei, because they, they had this token foreigner here. And I was just an excuse for everyone to just get wasted. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, fine. <laughs> Getting wasted is tradition. Yeah, you, if to, to seal a business deal there, you got to go eat and maybe get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. That's my experience. Oh, God. Well, moving on. Japan. Um, were we in Tokyo? Most of the time I was in Tokyo, yes. Love that. That's my favorite city in the world. Yeah, it's. I, I like uh, Tokyo. Um, I was in a trade show in Chiba, but went to Tokyo, and um, it, you just feel safe there. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Public transport system. They really didn't like me on the public transport system because I had a lot of trade show stuff with me, so it means more passengers <laughs> can get on board. Uh, but that that's all right. But uh, yeah, my um, I have a relative that still lives in uh, in Tokyo in the suburbs. Okay. And he married a Japanese lady, and he's been there for, for just years. So uh, he's, he's still there today. Yeah, it's certainly a liberal, good healthcare system, and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Then uh, Mex- you went to Mexico as well, right? Oh yeah. I uh, excuse me. I I did have a Mexican. I had an ex Mexican Mexican ex girlfriend. So I lived with her for a bit. But I, I I think Mexico City is another one of my favorite cities. It's just you know I can speak Spanish. Oh. And it just, I speak a few languages. That one's probably my, my strongest. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, it's, I, I have three food kingdoms in the world now, Turkey, Japan, and Mexico. Really? And when in any of those places, I just, I might eat 10 meals a day. 
because I'm not, I'm, it, it's the opposite in the U.S. I, you're getting the food where it's from, locally made, from people who know what they're doing for generations. Yeah. And it's spicy <laughs> in Mexico. So, you know, for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a vibrant city. It's uh, chaotic, but there's something about it. I like, you know, I'll always like Latin, Latin American work ethic as well. And yeah. uh, so there's obviously a lot to see there. It's sort of fun being in that chaos and just walking around, you know. So, sure, sure. Yeah. And if I can shout out a city called Orizaba, Malcolm, it's, about, it's a few hours bus drive from Mexico City, yeah. near Veracruz and Puebla. It's just this relaxing, verdant city in these hills, a few, a uh, couple, you know, thousand, fifteen hundred meters up. Yeah, and it's just so relaxing. There, there's a lot of. It's one of the cleanest cities in Latin America I've ever been to. There's about a hundred thousand people, but it's 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 nice. It's yeah. peaceful. Yeah. Oh wow! And there's a lot of also American expats um, living in Mexico now as well. Oh, so sure. uh, there's going to be a reason for that. You know, coastal regions, yeah. obviously. Yeah. San Miguel de Allende, um, Puerto Vallarta, and you know, very Loreto in Baja California. So, yeah. so a lot of places. Okay. Good. Okay. So what's next for you then? Ah, well, you know, I think you, you were alluding before what I was doing now, Malcolm. I'm a freelance writer, uh, travel and food mostly. And I, you know, I'm, so basically I'm just going around the world, certain places, Mexico, Turkey, um, Japan is, I don't know when they're opening, but. These are the three places I like to be, write about food, local food, take videos about them, and just kind of introduce, not, not the, the standard issue kebabs or whatnot, just the really hyper-local foods that yeah. you may never have known about that next time we're visiting, try it. And because I speak you know, some Japanese, Chinese, Indonesian, Spanish, I can really dig deeper. Wow, into, that's you know, amazing, yeah. No, no, not fluent, Malcolm. You know, just, you know, I can certainly get around in those. And uh, I'm also, basically, my, my dream title is to be a fluent eater, just to know about every food, help everyone out in any menu <laughs> they ever look at. <laughs> so I can read Korean menus, Russian, Arabic menus, but I can't speak those languages. All right. Well, that's, that's all right. Fortunately, most of the world today, fortunately, most of the world today speak English uh, <laughs> that's true. to a degree. So, so that's we're true. good there. So tell yes. me about your website, Finding Food Frenzy. You're on YouTube. And oh, I'm sorry. To, to correct, finding food fluency. Fluency. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Frenzy. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, it's a frenzy. Oh, my favorite food is Indian. I love Indian curries, but yeah. Yes. Frenzy. Yes. I, I need to read. I got my. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So tell me about that website. So I have a couple things going on. Finding food fluency. I started it way too late. Nevertheless, I have a YouTube channel, Finding Food Fluency, and it's just I'm I'm trying to document these these local these very local dishes. And I'm trying to give little language lessons on how to order it, you know, what to look for, ingredients, maybe a little background on the food. So in finding food fluency, the, the, the meaning means I'm really just trying to get in deep, not just a picture of the food and a video of it, but to learn a little about it, introduce to readers and you know, video you know, uh, YouTubers about it. Yeah. And at no, this is a re recent uh, creation, no work and all travel. <laughs> Is my WordPress site yeah, for travel, okay. travel news? Uh, it, it's it's a ridiculous name, but I, you know it fits for for the travel news industry. It's just it's it's yeah. It's <laughs> ludicrous, I like the sound of that. No work or, or travel. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, and that's uh, that's good. Yeah, but thank you. Uh, right, right now, I mean, 
um, I, I got my calendar full this year uh, with with travel because I intend to make the most of it while I can. So, sure. uh, but uh, like you, you're in the same frame of mind. So, if people want to reach you, yes, they just go on your website. Do they? Or... Um, people can reach me at uh, info or help at findingfoodfluency.com. They can yeah. contact, they can comment on my YouTube site, Finding Food Fluency. It's yeah. I started it last year, but only recently updated videos uh, for whatever reason. So. You know, but the, the, nevertheless, the channel is called Finding Food Fluency. Yeah. Um, and yeah, please comment. You know, I'm, I'm happy to get suggestions. I always want food suggestions. That's that's how we grow. That's the point of social media. It's just learn from others. Yeah. I love that. Isn't but, it just, Joe? And that's what we should do with all the problems in the world today. We should all learn from each other a little bit, right? It would be great. Yeah, yeah especially us in the States, uh, you know. We live here. Uh, right, right. Well, you know, uh, the, the, we, we may live, like living here, but uh, sometimes we don't do, the, we're not the best at everything and it's all no, no. good that we can learn from other nations. And uh, that's always a good thing. For sure. We should communicate with other nations a bit more so we could be better ourselves. But, you know, that's the way it is right now, I'm afraid. And uh, so it's sure. all good. So, well, we know how to contact you. And yes. uh, your website said, yeah, actually, I had a brief look at it on your website before we connected here. And okay, thank you. how did you say that? Mexican tech, tech is, what, what is that? Oh, tequesquite. Tequesquite is, <laughs> it's a, in English, I guess in English we can say slack lime or builder's lime as if that's any clearer. Um, that's used, that's been used for generations in Mexico to make, to uh, help leaven dough, yeah. the corn dough. Mm. And it's also, uh, it's used for to make tamales and yeah. uh, corundas, which are from Michoacan State. But it's okay. also used for. It's mainly used to leaven corn dough. Um, tequesquite, not. I mean, it's you know, it doesn't roll off your tongue. <laughs> but that's part of finding food fluency. It's just to get into these things that barely anyone's heard of and introduce it. Say, oh, that's how they make it. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I'm going. Maybe that's something I can get the wife to cook. I don't know. I'll have to check that out. Man. Hey, I like the only food I have reservations about is Italian, but uh, apart from that, I'm a hot and spicy freak myself. So, well, uh, well then, you should try um, hot and spicy. Then I think look for Manadanese food when you're in Indonesia. M A N A D O, Malcolm. If you're stopping over in Jakarta, as you alluded yeah? to, okay. That is the spiciest. Or Aceh. Aceh also has some spicy food. And if you try ayam tangkap, that's chicken with some, you know, uh, Achenese herbs, delicious, delicious. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm trying anything, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know where I'm Great. staying when I get over there, so that'll be just good. True. All right. Well, excellent. You've done a lot, uh, Jonathan, and that's good. You'll be able to look, you'll have to got plenty of videos, pictures document everything you read about you. it later on in your life and that's great keep on traveling and yes, uh you too. enjoy life uh, to the fullest you know yes and, uh i'm just doing it until i can't do it anymore so uh you'll probably that's in the same of mine yeah, that's excellent thank you All again right. malcolm it was a pleasure yeah, yeah thanks for joining me jonathan and uh stay in touch Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.